Morning, folks. So, um, for those that who have um, new or haven't been around for a while, we've been going through a series, and we have had some amazing teaching, absolutely amazing teaching. We had Sim start off the whole series, who talked about God wants us to be whole, not just the body, but the soul, mind, and spirit. And then we had Graham, who, who did two amazing sermons back-to-back. Uh, back. And the idea is that it was his, God's healing touch that wants to come. And um, he spoke amazingly well about the whole thing about the story of um, Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And if you want to get any sort of context about what happened, have a listen to Graham's talk, because that's the best I've ever heard of someone talking about what it means about what Jesus healed on the Sabbath and the confrontation that there was between the religious leaders of the day. And then we had Steph's amazing sermon last week. I just was just mind-blowing what she talked about, the fact that even when we pray for someone, God is moving. We might not see it in the natural, but God is moving. And that's important in the way we move forward, that everything we do, everything we say, God is moving through us. And so all of us are on a journey. We have given our lives to God, and we've started on a journey. And in that journey, we're unpacking things. We're dealing with things that we encounter in our lives. We deal with the understanding of who we are. We deal with the understanding of who God is. And it's similar to the journey that Jesus was on. Jesus was on a journey. And in that journey, he starts to think about who he is and what he's called to do. And in Isaiah 61 is the original thing, and I know later on Jesus quotes that and says this, but I just wanted to read this out. The Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord, is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners of the Lord, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. And it goes on. But Jesus was on a journey. That scripture really gives the essence of why Jesus came to earth. He was on a journey. He was anointed by God to do amazing things. And so we come to today's um, story, which is in John 5. And uh, I'll read it out. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsheba, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Verse 4, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. 
Verse 5, one who was there had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid pride, I have no one to help me into the pool. And when the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And as I was going through this, I was pondering and I was reading it again and again and again. And there's one thing that just jumped out to me. The idea that this is a guy who's invalid for 38 years. Now, I don't think... Many of us could actually associate what it would be like to be invalid for 38 years. We're not sure of whether or not he was not able to walk. I think the idea from what Jesus said to him, I think there's an element that he wasn't able to walk, but certainly had a condition that inhibited him moving for a long, long period of time. And then I got this whole thing when I was reading this, and I was going through, and I just kept going through and I just got to this thing when Jesus replies, do you want to get well? Now, my first reaction to that was, duh, of course he wants to get well. But I started thinking, what is Jesus doing in asking that question? And then I started realizing there are a couple of other times when Jesus asks questions to people. Now, we would think, okay, of course they want to get well. It's a, it's a certain. But Jesus is trying to do something here that's really important. If Jesus is asking a question, then it's important for that particular situation. And so that got me thinking about what is the relevance of what Jesus is saying here. Do you want to get well? Now, it's important to understand that not in every situation... Does Jesus ask that question? Okay? They reckon that over maybe just over a third of the Gospels deals with Jesus' healing. Not every single case does Jesus say, do you want to get well? And the more you look into the way that Jesus did healing, you realize that he didn't do it one single way. There are lots and lots of different ways. Now, if we just took this verse and we applied a theology to it, that theology would mean that we ask every person who's injured, do you want to get well? Well, sometimes we might, sometimes we might not. But there are other ways that Jesus healed. The whole spitting in the eye. When was the last time we got someone up in their face? Well, I think we'd probably get a slap across the face if we did that. So there are times and places when Jesus does something. Sometimes there's the whole commanding out of a spirit. There's times where he does certain things that are different to other times. So that got me thinking. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized there's a, there's a journey that Jesus has been on, and we're on a journey as well. And I just want to share some of the things from my journey that... I've encountered, discovered, looked at over the years. The first thing that 
I learnt was God wants to heal all of us. And I had, um, I suppose I had a, a theology that was a, a sort of a backup clause that when healing didn't take place, I would bring out this theology and here are the 50 reasons why you didn't get healed. Okay, and your, yours is number six, and that's the reason why you didn't get healed. And I started to realize that some of my theology was not actually what God's theology was. It wasn't lining up with who God wants to do. And it's very clear that actually Jesus wants to heal. And if you want to know that's the story in Matthew 8, are you willing? Jesus says, yes, I'm willing. So I had to really come and think about my theology not matching up to God's theology. And one of the big things for me was the whole idea, well, God's given me this sickness, illness to teach me a lesson. Massive, huge life from the enemy. Because what that did to me was it meant, don't pray for me because God is teaching me a lesson in this. That's not what Jesus said at any stage at time at all. God doesn't give you a sickness to teach you a lesson. It's not because you're a disobedient little boy or girl that you are punished. Joe talked about this sense of we're accepted. And so I had to really come to the point of just saying, okay, I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to come underneath what God says about me. Loved, accepted, embraced, a child of God. He's that story about would you give a little child a snake? Would you give them a stone when they ask for bread? That, again, that idea of we think that things are given to us because of our mistakes. Well, we've done something wrong, we're punished. And I had to come to a point which actually says, no, that's not the case. One of the things was that for a long time, I prayed for people for healing out of my own strength. And I'd pray for someone, I'd go, come on, come on. And I'd try to, every ounce of little strength inside me, I'd come out and I'd go, sorry, I haven't got any more, bad luck, that's it. And to me, it was like, I would think, okay, I've got all this strength, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. And then actually, uh, it was when I went to Toronto that my eyes opened up. And the realization that actually there's a key verse here. Now, for many, many times, we think Jesus had an unfair advantage. Of course, did Jesus did all these amazing miracles. He was God. And so he has an unfair advantage. We don't. Therefore, we can't do it. So to ask us to follow in Jesus' footsteps is unfair. But I realize that actually that's not the case. Yes, Jesus was God. But let's have a look at Acts 10.38. So if you want to go to Acts 37, actually, this scripture really radicalized my thinking. So verse 37 says in Acts 10, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, and the baptism, and after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. How he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 
I once heard someone say, actually, Jesus never healed anyone. The Holy Spirit that was in him flowed out and healed people. And once I started to think about that, it changed the way that I looked at it. No longer was it Paul on my own trying to do it, but it was me willing to tap into the Holy Spirit that resides in me and allowing that to flow out and touch people's lives. And funny enough, as soon as I started doing that, I started seeing healing take place. Why? Because it wasn't just me in my own strength going, come on, come on. It was me tapping into the Holy Spirit that resides in me, praying in boldness and faith, and believing that the Holy Spirit is going to do this. We see the whole situation. If Jesus had an unfair advantage, and none of us had that advantage, then why did the shadow of Peter cause healing? Why did Peter and James pray for someone on the road to the temple they get healed? Why did Paul have all those amazing miracles take place? It's because the Holy Spirit resides in them, and from that core of the Holy Spirit, there comes a power that comes out to heal. So that got me thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I found in Toronto was this sense of being filled up. And I know over many, many years, I've been, uh, since I've left Toronto, about 13 years, I know that there are times where, I suppose we call it, we're dry, where we haven't spent a lot of time in God's presence, where we haven't, I suppose, filled up our love tank, where we've received the love of God. The thing is that God loves us no matter what. That's, an, that's something that is not going to change. The Holy Spirit came upon us when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's not going to change. But what I started to realize is that as I spend time with God, and I would just sit in his presence, and I would sense his love, his spirit just fill me up, and I would be empowered, and I felt... um, I suppose it's a little bit like if you think of the superheroes where you get powered, filled up, and you go, oh, there's something different about what has just happened as I've engaged with God and engaged with the Spirit. And it changed my life in the sense that when I started to go out, I started to be able to speak to people, started to be able to tap into the Holy Spirit and God within me, and start speaking into people's lives. And the thing that I wanted to, to, to get to is the thing that this, God's love for us, God's character and nature does not change. It is absolutely 100% certain that his character and nature does not change. His love for us does not change. His forgiveness for us does not change. What does change is the way we do things. And when we look at Jesus' life, his character and his focus on God did not change. The way he did things did change. And that got me sort of going through thinking about the whole idea of how did God do things. Well, if we go to John 5... 
there's, John talks about the whole idea in verse uh, 19. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Verse 30. I can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And this really came to light when I started to become healed of the hurts and the lies that I'd taken on. And as I started to unpack who God the Father is for me, as I started to unpack who I am in God's eyes, the idea of what's mentioned here, that Jesus didn't do anything unless he saw the Father do that. He didn't say anything unless he heard those words from the Father. So when we think of that, and we go back to this particular thing here, and Jesus says to this guy, do you want to get well? There's a purpose here. He's not going to say that unless he's heard and seen the Father. And to me, the idea is that, to me, that speaks of intimacy. The intimacy that we have. Now, I know for a fact that God, when I go into the classroom, God is with me. And I know for a fact that there are many times, probably, I don't know, half a dozen times, at least every couple of days, where I'm teaching something and then a thought pops into my head, say this. And I go, that sounds like a good idea. And I say it, and it makes sense. Now, I could say, well, what a coincidence. But I know God's speaking to me. God's showing me things, okay? <laughs> if you ever get a chance, there's an amazing story that um, was on Facebook by Chris Vallotton, where a guy in California had... Um, he was a wine, wine grower, and he grew wine. And the idea was that um, he, full-on believer, and the wine was going off after three or four days, and he was unsure of what to do. And God spoke to him. He said, put your hands in there and pray. And you think, that's, that's, gonna, that's ridiculous. But he believed in God, the connection that he had with God, the intimacy, listening and acting out. And he did that. And he thought, well, great, that's fantastic. And God said, do it again over the next three days. And he did that again over the next three days. And he was about to taste the wine after the three days. And he said, no, are you going to believe me? Are you going to trust what I'm doing? And he said, no, okay, I won't. And at the end, they tasted the wine and it was the best they've ever had. And they named the bottle Lazarus. Lazarus. And the idea is that because of something that was off, the person stepped out, listened to God, followed the instructions, and something miraculous happened. And the story goes that actually people have bought that bottle, prayed over it, and miracles have happened. But the, the thing that I want to get through is the sense of intimacy with God, listening and acting out. Now, if we go back to this particular passage it says, do you want to get well? Now, the guy gives up this excuse of saying, well, I can't get into that. And I think sort of Jesus is going, oh, that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking, do you want to go into the pool when it starts bubbling? 
I've got the power, the Holy Spirit reside in me to say a word, boom, something happens in the physical realm. And the idea is that Jesus speaks out with power. Sim talked about at the very start of this whole journey that the power of words is crucial. It's a little bit hard to basically pray blessing on someone when also at the same time we're cursing someone. The idea is that it just goes against. How can we put life and bless life when someone else we're cursing someone? Ah, yeah, It just doesn't go against. It goes against the whole idea. So the thing for me which was important that really changed my life was Firstly, the connection that I have with the Father, the intimacy that I have with the Father is crucial to be able to listen, to follow. But it's also the Holy Spirit that's within me. It's a power that's within me. At the very start of the year, um, I always spend some time with God, and I spend that time just to really, well, I spend December the 31st to thank God for last year, and this this. January the 1st, I spent some time allowing God to speak to me. And this year, he really spoke about the sense of being a strength that was in me, which is able to help me to do the things he's going to call me to do. And to me, that was really important because I can only do the things that God calls me to do when he gives me the the strength, the grace when I was in Australia, this is going back nearly 20 years ago, I heard a, a, a message on grace that was just, just changed my how outlook. And we know that, um, you've probably heard teachers that talk about grace as being uh, unmerited or unfavored mercy or something like that. But to me, this guy unpacked the idea of grace as the empowering presence of God within us to do the things he's called us to do. And to me, that just was life-changing because everything God calls me to do, he has given me the grace, the presence to carry it out. God's not going to say, do this, and then step back and have you do it on your own strength. He gives you the grace, the presence, the power to carry it out, to do those things that he's called you to do. And so every time I've looked at it, I can give you countless stories where God has called me to do something. And I remember one time um, I was at school and God said, I want you to do and step into this job. And up until that point, I was like, no way in the world. But I felt God say, I'm going to give you my grace for that position. And I stepped into that position and it was a breeze. Everyone else I'd spoken to had said, oh, it's really, really difficult, it's really hard, you're going to really struggle. I didn't, because God's presence empowered me to do that thing. And at the end of the year, there was a case of, uh, what's the word, where you do it again for another year. And I thought, yep, I'm going to do it for another year. And God said, no. Oh, time to step back, step back into what God's calling me to do. The thing that, to me, is listening to what the Holy Spirit does and following that. And I, over the years, I've heard stories of famous 
ministers who have done lots and lots of different things. Whether or not you agree with their theology on point A or you agree on theology point B, the thing that I've found more and more is people are getting healed. And you think of stories like Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Coleman, Amy Simple McPherson, the list goes on. People who were empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit in them that when they spoke, healing took place. Now, the interesting thing is they all did their healing ministries totally different. Why? Because God does things in a totally different random way. One day he might do something like this to someone. Another day he might do something like this. The character, the nature of God loving us, wanting to see us set free is not negotiable. But the way things happen is different. And so one of the things is I've learned is that when I come to pray for someone, I come with the expectation that God loves them. I come with the expectation that God loves me. I come with the expectation that God's empowered me in this situation. But I have to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And over the years, there's certain times where I've had to say, Holy Spirit, come fill them up. We might get some healing, keep pressing in. Other times, it's might a case of the demonic. In the name of Jesus, we command you to come out now. Other times, Holy Spirit has asked me to ask them for, to see if they've got forgiveness. I remember one time a story was an amazing story. It wasn't me, but I heard this story. And the story was that there were two brothers, and they come to a meeting. No, no, sorry. One of them came to a meeting and had a bad back for 50 years. And um, they came up the front, and the minister basically prayed, and nothing happened. But he pressed on, but this time he sensed that God was saying, ask him about his younger brother. And it was like, well, what's that got to do with the healing? So he says, what do you think of your younger brother? I hate him. I despise him. Whoa, that's a bit tough there. The story goes that basically 50 years ago, the whole thing was is that his younger brother uh, got into a tractor, rode the tractor, bumped onto him, his older brother, and his older brother got injured. And he'd held on for 50 years bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness to this one person. And so the minister said to him, he said, would you like to forgive him? No. And clearly, this was going to be a barrier. So he basically, calmly, with a loving kindness, was able to help him. And he was able to lead him to the place of forgiving his younger brother. A major, major step, held on to business for 50 years. And he stepped and he said, okay, I'm going to choose to forgive this person, this my younger brother. And he forgave him. And I said, I re- he said, I release him from any sort of pain and hurt. I release him. As soon as he had that, his back was healed. 50 years of pain, his 
back was healed like that. And everyone cheered, wow, wow, he's healing. And then over the crowd, people started to dawn, 50 years being bound up, unforgiveness. Why do I say that story? Because the minister listened to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says, why don't we do it this way? Why don't we target this particular situation? Now, the next person who came along probably did it something completely different. But it's allowing the Holy Spirit within us to show us. Ronnie's spoken many times about prophetic words. There are words of wisdom that we can have about a person's situation, words of knowledge about a person's situation, where we can get something, and I think we've even had it here. Graham said a number of times, I just have a sense of either the right ankle being there. That's a word of knowledge, listening to the Holy Spirit and stepping out. The whole thing is that what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking out something the Father has shown him in the intimacy he has with the Father, something that he's seen that God wants him to say out to this person. And then he's acted out. He's spoken the words with power. And as a result, the words of power have come out and healed the person's life. Every one of us is filled with the Holy Spirit. Every one of us is filled with the Holy Spirit. Every one of us is loved by God the Father. Every one of us has that connection. When we go into a place of healing, there are things that are constant that are not going to change. But we need to be willing to listen. God, how do you want to deal in this situation? How do you want to deal? Sometimes it might be getting them to ask a simple thing. Close your eyes is, and allow God to show you a person. Now, it's interesting, actually, the person who I taught this actually used to say to them, close your eyes and allow someone to show you. Now, he, he didn't actually say to them who you need to forgive, because as soon as you say that, people put up walls. But God's in control. As Steph said last week, God's doing stuff that we can't necessarily see. And so what people would do is they'd say, oh yeah, it's Mr. Joe Smith. Well, just spend some time. Do you need to forgive that person? And the amount of time that the Holy Spirit would help that person and come through a process of forgiveness, pray for healing. Healing takes place. But it's all about us having that connection, listening to the Holy Spirit, listening to what God wants to do. But most important of all is having that boldness to step out. One of the things I learned, and I've learned, as I said, I've learned loads of things, the word hope. For us in the modern era, hope is like a wish. Oh, I wish it could happen. So we say to people, oh... I hope you get better, but really, not really sure at all. The Israelites, the word hope means confident expectation that what God says will happen. When we have hope in God, it's not, oh, not quite sure. Will you love me? Will you not love me? No, it's confident expectation that God said something will happen. The story of building on sand versus building on the rock We build our house on the foundations of what God has spoken to us. What has God revealed to us? So 
for me, the hope is that if God says people are going to be healed, then I'm going to stand on that. I'm not going to have a theology, a backup theology of 50 reasons why you didn't get healed. And sometimes I know, because I'm guilty of that, I go into looking for someone, this is not going to happen, this is not going to happen, let's have my backup clause of 50 reasons, oh, dear me, it didn't happen, here's 50 reasons why you didn't get healed. I've come to the thing of thinking, well, I'm going to go in with the confident expectation that God's going to heal. As Steph said last week, even if we don't see it, we can still believe that God's doing something in someone's life. The amount of time when I was in Toronto, we used to basically ask a scale out of 10. Zero being nothing's happened, 10 fully healed. And we'd say to someone, on a scale of 0 to 10, how much has changed? Two. Great, fantastic, faith rises up. Let's believe to go up to five. Pray again. Where's it at now? Five. Great, fantastic, thank you, God. Building up faith. Before too long, bang, fully healed. Why? Because we're pressing in with boldness. We're believing the confident expectation that God wants to heal. If we go in with doubt and, ooh, not quite sure, it's not going to matter but believing what God wants to do, the confident expectation, every single one of us has the Holy Spirit within, within you. So, can we have the worship team up? Now, I know some people are, for what, what I've said today might rattle some people. Sometimes we do need to be rattled. Sometimes we do need to think more about what God wants to do. But my idea is that, firstly, I want to help people to realize the Holy Spirit within Jesus healed everything. As a result of the apostles being uh, um, baptized in the Holy Spirit, they went out and did things. Ephesians 5.8 says, Don't be drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled in Greek is a verb. It's a doing word constantly being filled up, spending time in God's presence, being filled up, and then going and out, like a sponge. You get a sponge, you put it in a bucket of water, you soak it up, it gets stripped, then you put it out and you soak it over something else. That's what we do. We go into God's presence, we spend time with him, we go out, we soak other people as we go along, we see miraculous supernatural things happen. Jesus, anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit, did amazing things. We are anointed with the Holy Spirit. We need to believe with confident expectation that God can use us, every single one of us, not just Graham or Sim. Every one of us has the power of the Holy Spirit. When we connect with the Father, we follow the Holy Spirit. What do you want us to do in this situation? To speak boldly. Yes, God, you are the God that heals. You are the one that's going to change people's lives. So we're just going to worship a little bit, and then I'm going to just pray for a couple of people.